0: Welcome to Life. I'm your host, Chris Gast, Rice Life of Michigan's Director of Communication and Education. Joining us today is Catherine Kinsey, our Education and Events Coordinator. Morning. Good afternoon, Catherine. <laughs> Yes, afternoon. (laughs) It's not Friday. I wish it was, but it is, in fact, Thursday afternoon uh, when we're doing this podcast. And today we're going to talk about uh, a couple of stories. I've got some good news and bad news. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we're going to finish the day talking about an interesting story about where the pregnancy help uh, movement, if you will, is moving in the 21st century. Um, So good news, bad news. Uh, as far as pro-life legislation, I think we'll start with the bad news. So mm-hmm. the U.S. Senate on Tuesday had votes on legislation that would, uh, two bills. The first one is the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act, and that would ban abortion after 20 weeks of pregnancy. And that's based on the evidence that shows the child at 20 weeks has the capacity to feel pain. Uh, that makes sense, right, Catherine? Right. Um, everyone should be against causing pain Mm -hmm. to living things, right, Catherine? I would hope so. You can't beat a puppy, can you? No. Okay. Well, hey, you're getting legal trouble if you beat a puppy, right? Right, that's true. Um, yet, uh, not so much for an unborn child. Uh, that bill failed in the United States Senate. It actually received a majority of votes. Uh, it was a bipartisan majority of votes, uh, and a bipartisan minority against, but uh, the bills did not get the three-fifths necessary to avoid a filibuster, and for whatever, for many reasons, Catherine, mm-hmm. the filibuster has sort of become uh, the way the United States Senate works now. Right. Yeah. People don't get along anymore like no, they used to. Not at all. Uh, so uh, three-fifths of 100 is usually 60 votes. Uh, so the those. Uh, senators campaigning for president, uh, we're not there to vote, uh, but didn't get this the 60 votes necessary. And so, uh, in other words, uh, the debate on it continues, but in reality, it means the bill has been killed right. by a pro abortion minority. The second bill, uh, is the born alive, uh, infant survivors protection. Uh, it was the born alive survivors protection act. Uh, it gets a little confusing because, uh, about 18 to 20 years ago, uh, I think it was just after 2000, they passed the Born Alive Infant Protection Act through Congress. And uh, that original, uh, Born Alive Infant Protection Act, BIPA, because uh, every bill has seven <laughs> right. acronyms these days as well, um, that just basically defined uh, an unborn child, or excuse me, a child surviving a botched, a botched abortion, as a, a person for all intents and purposes under federal law. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't that... doesn't affect why effectively sh- do anything necessarily, but... It doesn't. And But uh, at the time, uh, just something simple like that seemed to be unthinkable that that could right. go on. Um, that all got inspired by uh, a nurse out of Illinois, Jill Stanek who discovered that her hospital was uh, performing abortions where they're basically just delivering the babies and letting them die. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, she brought attention to this. It was at Christ Hospital where this was going on. Right. Uh, you know, a little, very, extremely, sadly ironic uh, that they were doing that to the little children at Christ Hospital. Um, and the Congress passed this law it originally passed through the Senate by unanimous consent, Catherine. So in 2002, a different something, world. <laughs> a different world, something to protect children who survive botched abortions. They didn't even have to hold a vote in the U.S. Senate. They just said passed. Yeah. Uh, without objection, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty amazing. I mean, it shouldn't be amazing. These, these, this is obviously not dealing with abortion. This is right. dealing with a child who's already been born. Um, but, uh, this new bill in order to increase the protections, to make some specific changes in law that apply to the situation. Basically, um, some requirements that the child, uh, is being treated as any other child in the, in the exact same, uh, health condition would be, mm-hmm. uh, and that failed in the United States Senate again, because of a filibuster, uh, it was a bipartisan vote. Uh, for it, um, the, our our two pro abortion, uh, U S Senate Republicans, uh, Olympia snow and Susan Collins. Um, did I say Olympia snow? I meant Lisa Murkowski. (laughs) I'm dating myself here. Um, and she actually didn't vote against it. She didn't conveniently didn't show up. Uh, Mm -hmm. but, uh, we know that she's a pro abortion vote. Um, so, uh, this bill. Again, it got a majority of votes. It was very close to getting that three fifths uh, majority, but it was not enough. Um, mm-hmm. And, Catherine, why every Michigander should be aware of this is our two United States Senators, Gary Peters mm-hmm. and Debbie Stabenow, voted against these bills. Mm-hmm. So, Catherine, I, it passed with a, a, similar, a similar legislation passed with unanimous consent. Not even a generation ago, Um, and Debbie Stabenow was in the Senate at that point. Oh, so I'm pretty sure. So, uh, and yet today, our senators in the state of Michigan thought it was these issues were so controversial. It's so controversial, Catherine, to give medical care Mm -hmm. to newborn children that they wouldn't allow it to come up for an actual vote. Yeah, it's pretty sad. It's a very sad day. This, this is who is representing us in the United States Senate. Um, abortion supporters uh, don't like to... T- and that's the irony of this is, so a filibuster in the United States Senate is to prolong debate. You can't go to a vote until you finish the debate in the U.S. Senate. And so by filibustering these bills, Gary Peters and Debbie Stabenow, in terms of Senate rules, are saying that the debate on these must continue. That's not actually how it's going to practically work right? in real life. Gary Peters and Debbie Stavenow don't want to talk about late term abortions after 20 weeks. Mm-hmm. They don't want to talk about children who survive botched abortions. Um, and you look at the comments that have been made about these bills and the argument, uh, from the other side has been, oh, that doesn't happen. Mm. Even though, uh, it does happen. We have cases of it happening, um, the Center for Medical Progress and David Delidan caught an abortionist on film saying that what happens with uh, babies who survive botched abortions depends on who's in the room. Right. Do that sound like uh, that person's following I don't think law, so. or does that sound like that person is killing a, a born alive child? Sounds like it. Catherine, what's the word for killing a newborn baby? Uh, murder. Murder. Infanticide. Right. That's what's going on. Uh, but they can't bring themselves to condemn it and they focus on, oh, that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. I don't know, Catherine, should, should, it's, it's silly. Uh, it, it shouldn't be legal to do that. Even if it weren't happening, what's the harm in passing a law? Right. If it doesn't happen. Yeah, why is that an argument? Yeah. (laughs) Um, there are. Backup secondary argument is, well, this will mean that children who survive botched abortions who are profoundly disabled will force to be put on a ventilator and whatnot. Um, it really bugs them that a disabled child might live in such a situation. Yeah. yeah it was really sad. So, so, Catherine, we were talking and you saw that uh, TikTok video. That's all the rage right. these days, TikTok. Uh, About a, uh, uh, a young woman who who doesn't have an arm and, uh, her parents were encouraged to have an abortion and she's disabled. She's here today. That's a good thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, hopefully, (laughs) like hopefully people would think that, but no, no, uh, no, it isn't. And, uh, before we move on to the good news. Uh, it's worth pointing out that infanticide is not a new thing, obviously. Uh, it's been in the Side Michigan mission statement for I, maybe since the beginning, I'm not sure, but ever since I've been around, um, you see cases from time to time. Uh, usually it's in the context of withholding care from disabled babies, uh, you know, again, abortion supporters like to think of themselves as defending equal rights, but they are for consigning uh, a great portion of humanity into a class of being that's subhuman and has no rights, including the disabled. Um, but there are people who will academically defend abortion after birth, after birth. There was an article a few years ago defending specifically after birth abortions. Um, because legitimately, Catherine, you know, uh, abortion supporters talk a great game about bodily autonomy, mm-hmm. but it, that's just the argument they use. They don't right. really believe in it. What they generally really don't like is they don't want to have to deal with a baby, mm-hmm. and a disabled baby requires uh, usually more care than a mm-hmm. perfectly healthy baby. And so uh, there is an argument out there that uh, well, if if an unborn child, if a, if a born child uh, can't really think in an abstract manner, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, then, and they have, they should have the same moral worth as a child at eight months in the womb. And if we can kill a child in the womb at eight months, why not a child a few weeks after birth? Right. I mean that logic is. Almost makes more sense than some other logic, but it's a lot more tragic. Yeah. And and as soon as you draw an arbitrary line like that, you know, there's nothing really to stop the line from moving based on whatever is popular and fashionable. And so will and fantaside become fashionable again at some point? perhaps. Uh, We'd like to think we're very enlightened these days, but uh, we are not nearly as enlightened as we think we are. All right, enough bad news. (laughs) On to the good news. Uh, So President Trump uh, issued the Protect Life rule. We've talked about it on the podcast before. It basically says that uh, all that Title X family planning money that's out there, uh, it doesn't get to go to Planned Parenthood anymore or any other facility that provides abortions, uh, because in other words, they're basically using that money to help their abortion services. You know, right. if you're using that money to pay for your facility's electrical bill and the abortion machine you're using, uh, the vacuum mm-hmm. machine is using electricity you're paying for the vacuum machine with title 10 funding. Right. Um, and, uh, this, shouldn't be a controversial issue from a legal standpoint. The U.S. Supreme Court in 1992 ruled in Rust v. Sullivan that uh, the Reagan administration and then the Bush administration could implement this rule. Uh, Mm It didn't happen because then Bill Clinton got elected. Um, But the Supreme Court said it's fine. Uh, Did that stop Planned Parenthood and company from bringing uh, President Trump's protect life, rule into to court? No. No, it didn't. Uh so they're engaging in lawfare. Um I personally think that they don't think they're gonna be legally successful. Uh their main goal is to just drag it out to the next past the next election. Mm-hmm. So who knows, President Bernie Sanders can say, <laughs> You Planned parenthood <laughs> right. you wanna take the Hamborn's life? you get more money. Go ahead. <laughs> um So, uh, that's, I think their goal, uh, but along the way it was very, very satisfying that the ninth circuit court of appeals, uh, was the one that most recently issued a ruling on it. The ninth circuit covers our Western States in Mm -hmm. the U S sometimes called the left coast. It used to be that the ninth circuit court was by far the most liberal court in the country. Um, They were the most reversed court, Mm -hmm. circuit court in recent years in the country by the Supreme Court. Uh, They, because of their wacky decisions, they developed a moniker, the Ninth Circus Court of Appeals. (laughs) uh, Three-ring circus there um, for the three judges hearing any particular case. (laughs) Uh, But the Ninth Circuit Court, because of the election of President Donald Trump, has been changed and the ninth circuit upheld the protect life rule right how about that crazy good guys (laughs) win uh that's the importance of winning elections sometimes some pro-lifers get upset that right to life in michigan has a political action committee we do endorsements and they just want why don't you just focus on legislation or why don't you just focus on education Mm -hmm. um and then somehow everything's just going to work out Right. But uh, if you don't elect pro-life U.S. Senators, mm-hmm. uh, like John James would be, right. uh, it be nice to have uh, Senator John James voting for uh, the Born Alive Survivors uh, Protection Act and not have Gary Peters voting against it. Right. Um, if you don't have the U.S. Senators, you don't have judges willing to uphold pro-life laws. Mm-hmm. And time has proven that if you are a judge that supports abortion... Personally, uh, you're not going to put that aside and decide an issue based on the law. You're going to cover for abortion. Right. Uh, because the reigning judicial philosophy of many judges today is, what would I do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not what the Constitution says, not what the law says, uh, not, even, not even what does public opinion say. It's just, mm-hmm. what, do, what do I think? And yep. then we're going to do that. Uh, that's how abortion cases work. So this is the first time I've ever said this in my life, but (laughs) congratulations, ninth circuit court of appeals. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Hopefully it won't be the last time. Okay. So, uh, to end the podcast, I thought we'd talk about a story that we posted on our website, uh, just this afternoon, rtl.org. The title of the story is 21st Century Pro-Life Healthcare. And the story is following a gentleman named Mark Blocker and his effort to create a uh, sort of an alternative healthcare provider to Planned Parenthood. Yes. And you had a chance to talk with him about it, Catherine, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, and uh, so what he has is... And you know, before we, before we talk about what he's done, I think we have to talk about what Mark has done. So Mark Blocker has been involved in, uh, the pro-life movement for a long time, Mm -hmm. longer than I've been alive. Mm -hmm. Um, he's, uh, he's originally from Grand Rapids. Uh, he moved back here in the early 1980s and he's had his hand in a little bit of everything. Um, He's a bioethicist that was a university professor. Mm -hmm. We have a a, book on ethics in our pro-life library. We used to, (laughs) used to sell copies of it. Um, he's been a speaker for us Mm -hmm. on a lot of issues, uh, especially end of life issues. Um, he helped found Alpha Women's Center in Grand Rapids, which is one of the big pregnancy centers here. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was director of Baptist for life. Now life matters worldwide which has helped set up pregnancy centers, you know, all across the state and the world mm-hmm. and has uh, helped mentor and continues to mentor pregnancy centers and uh, help with their leadership. Um, he's, been <laughs> he's been a pastor. He started a inner city health clinic. He was a chaplain for the state police. I'm pretty sure he's been to the moon. <laughs> the list goes. And on. a lot of Holiday Inns. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, <laughs> he he's uh, he's done a little bit of everything, and so. You know when we talk about his latest venture, it it sounds that doesn't sound off the wall. It sounds interesting. Like how's he going to make it work? But it's worth pointing out that Mark has made an awful lot of things work, yeah. and a lot of the things <laughs> that even pro-life people in the Grand Rapids area. And elsewhere, take for granted. Mark had some hand in helping along or creating. Right. Um, so what he has going now is uh, it's a healthcare nonprofit it's called Christian Healthcare Centers. Pretty simple name. And what he's doing is he's involved in uh, the direct primary care model, Catherine. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, breaking what down, what that means. Primary care, of course, is what you get when you go to your doctor's office and you have a cough, or mm-hmm. you broke your, you sprain your wrist and you need to get an X-ray. Slightly relevant to me right now. <laughs> um, you are getting a basic appointment, uh, basic medications, kind of the basic everyday things that you go to a doctor's office for. Mm-hmm. That is your primary care. So direct primary care. Uh, instead of what, how it happens for most people is you have your insurance, you go to the doctor's office and you pay a copay Right. And then if you get any minor thing done that costs money, um, usually, you know, you pretty have, especially after Obamacare, you have a ginormous, uh, deductible. Yeah. As I'm sure Catherine can sympathize <laughs> now going through all the obstetric care yes. that she has been. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to pay for that a lot of that out of pocket and you're just paying the bills up to a certain amount. So with direct primary care, um, the only insurance health insurance you have, uh, is for catastrophic care. So, you know, uh, not, you know, my thumb is sprained, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my thumb is growing a arm out <laughs> of it or something, you know, a little more serious, Yeah. Uh, all of your basic services and diagnostics and such, That's all paid for through membership, so uh, you can pay anywhere. I've seen some estimates for the whole industry, if you will. Um, You know, somewhere between 50 to 100, $150 is your monthly membership. And then you have unlimited services. Mm -hmm. So you basically, uh, it's a club, it's a health club. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, you know, if you're sick and you need to go into the doctor, uh, you just go in, yeah, and you leave. You just say, "Here's my membership card. Get your service, and you leave." There's no bill. There's no statement of benefits coming in the mail. There's no wondering. You know, what do I have to pay for this? Right. Uh, none it's kind of that. Of a crazy, crazy, right? Crazy thought, <laughs> right? Everything is pretty. Everything's baked into that annual membership fee, um, and so uh, you know what you're doing. So uh, the benefit to, the idea behind this whole model uh, is, uh, I think there's three main goals. The first goal for the patient is um, you're getting better care because the doctors are spending more time with you, ideally, uh, and you don't, have, you don't have uncertain costs. You know mm-hmm. what this is going to cost. And the cost, uh, in theory, should be lower. hmm uh, the, it benefits the doctors and nurses because instead of spending all their time filling out paperwork and stuff for, uh, actually, you know, for insurance forms and all that, and all the reporting, uh, it's pretty simple. You're just updating the patient's medical file and actually interacting with the patient. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, you know, five minutes of seeing you and then, uh, you know, quite a bit of time spent on the paperwork to make sure the insurance gets billed properly. Right. For the actual healthcare center, uh, his center is a nonprofit, but, uh, you don't need an insurance billing department. Yeah. You, you, you don't need a ton of staff. You just need a a basic administrative staff to make sure you're covering all your bases. And so, uh, it's lowering their overhead. And so Mm -hmm. the whole idea is a lower cost and theoretically better care because the doctor and as a nurses are able to spend more time with you as a patient. Mm -hmm. And so uh, why does this pertain to pro-life stuff? Well, uh, you know, at the, he uh, and when, when we talked to him, and it's not really emphasized in the story, but um, it is a growing concern with conscience rights. You know, if you're a pro-life doctor or nurse uh, and your hospital wants to force you to help with abortions, they can't legally do that, but who knows what a yeah, President yeah. Bernie Sanders is going to mm-hmm. do when he enacts, uh, you know, Medicare for all. And uh all sorts of crazy stuff. Um Crazy Bernie. So <laughs> if Crazy Bernie ever wins or a crazy Bernie wins and they take over the entire healthcare system, lock, stock, and barrel, uh, and they say you have to help with abortions, where's pro life doctor or nurse gonna go? Right. Maybe you're gonna go to a place like this. Uh but also and one of the main goals he had in starting uh his uh nonprofit is he wants pregnancy centers to be able to compete with Planned Parenthood on their level. So, uh, pregnancy centers in their first iteration would have pregnancy tests and maybe some diapers and formula, mm-hmm. uh, which is better than nothing. Right. Diapers and formulas are expensive. Uh, you want a, pr- a woman going into pro-life pregnancy center to get a pregnancy test so they actually listen to her instead of a Planned Parenthood where their first thought is, how can we make $400 off of her for an abortion? Um, So that is uh, really important that pregnancy centers be able to see those people. But pregnancy centers don't always provide all those other services. And so Mm -hmm. uh, back in the day, Mark got local pregnancy centers here and really advise them to go to the medical model, which a lot of them are pursuing. And by medical, we mean that they are offering ultrasounds. Mm -hmm. Some of them are offering STD testing and they have added other services. And, uh, Mark's former clinic that he started alpha women's center is one of those, Mm -hmm. they even have GED classes, uh, and men's programs and such. Uh, but they're still not able to always, uh, you know, give them direct care. Uh, as Mark said in the story too often, the pregnancy centers, uh, you know, listens to the woman, hears her out and can connect her to some place that she can get medical care. But guess what? Usually that place is not a very life affirming place and they might just, uh, immediately start talking abortion with her and she might end up back at the abortion clinic anyway. Mm -hmm. So Mark's goal is to be able to offer and he calls this program Healthy Tomorrows, but it is to partner with local pregnancy centers so that they can have a pro-life doctor essentially on staff. Yeah. Uh, so that a pro-life doctor could be available to the pregnancy centers in the area on a pool basis, or they could refer this woman to uh, the pregnancy, to his uh, his healthcare center where they have OVGYN services. Right. And so you know that that woman is actually going to be taken care of. And, and Mark's goal, you know, if you can grow, uh, a, the particular nonprofit, uh, and it's not just here in Grand Rapids, he wants these all over the country. If you can grow it big enough, you have the ability to offer free services at a higher level. And wouldn't it be great if instead of having to go to Planned Parenthood, which is getting your tax dollars, not just through title 10, mm-hmm. uh, as they did before, but a, a big chunk through Medicaid, um, wouldn't it be great if they can go to a pro-life health center. Where it doesn't take any taxpayer money, and mm-hmm. they can be treated as a human being instead of a cash cow, right? Instead of a person on an assembly line, yeah. Because you know, when abortion facilities say abortions between a woman and her doctor, what they really mean is the doctor her doctor doesn't even know that she went to the abortion facility, and she's in and out as quickly as possible so they can right. get as many uh, abortions done and make as much money. Mm-hmm. So uh that's Mark's goal is to have one of these kind of uh pro-life medical centers uh in every city that there's an abortion facility. Yeah. And uh pretty ambitious goal? It, yeah, it pretty is. Pretty ambitious. <laughs> he almost wants to set up an entire medical system yeah. uh, that's separate and parallel to what what do really we have? Really not idea. <laughs> he talked about yeah, uh you know actual pro-life birthing centers and even uh specifically pro-life hospitals, I mean, they all should be anyway, but, um, rebuilding our entire medical system. And it sounds ambitious, but I think Mark's history that we started talking about, he's managed to accomplish quite a few things. And so, uh, check out the article, don't count Mark out. And, um, you know, that direct primary care is a new healthcare model that, uh, it's really interesting to see. Where that's going to go and it's always great to have uh, specifically pro-life people out there providing care and doing their jobs not having to worry about uh, pro-abortion officials ruining their day all right that's all the time we have for this edition of life beat join us again in two weeks have a wonderful weekend